0: Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. This is part C of episode 9, Interview with Dev Raga from the Dev Raga Personal Finance Podcast.
1: Now, I think let's uh, moving on to the next topic in terms of conversations is we on property, right? And I think we, we couldn't have a episode without talking about the property market, right? Because that's, that's always going to be in discussions in any interview, any podcast. So combining what we've just spoken about, you know, investments and super and, you know, not talking about a property because you, you brought up that topic about your own house, baby, right? is what would be uh, the trade off uh, which from the three would you really emphasize on paying off your mor- mortgage first invest in shares or maximize your super which according to you in your opinion would be yeah, your focus point
2: That's a good question look uh, it, it, if i was if i had to choose one you know i would always choose investing over paying off your mortgage and that investing would have to be through super because of the tax effective nature and the tax advantage structure that it provides and you know then probably invest outside of super and then probably maximize your mortgage now this all depends on your mindset you know can you sleep well at night having mortgage debt i know some people can't it worries them because you can't be evicted from your home if you don't have a mortgage debt that is the ultimate security and, you know, there's, there's an element of sleep well at night factor here, which is really important to some people. And that's why personal finance is so personal, right? There isn't one right thing to do, but if I was doing it, you know, I'd probably maximize my super first, then maximize my investments outside of super, then basically pay off the mortgage. Now, in my own life, what did I do? Ironically, uh-huh. Uh-huh. now that I've, you know, had some hindsight and thought about this. What I did was we we bought we bought a home you know way back in 2008 2009 and and we thought we paid too much for it at the time and uh, we you know I, I worked crazy hours after buying it and paid it off within three years because I was so worried and nervous about having debt I probably wouldn't have done that had given the another opportunity but I did it and I think there's nothing better than paying off your mortgage and just living debt free now. Uh, we we subsequently have bought other homes and 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 built a home and all that sort of stuff. So I'm a little bit more relaxed now. I'm in my sort of you know late 30s as I was in my 20s. But certainly that would that would be that would be what I'd do now if if I had a second chance. I I would have maximized my super because you know I'm in my 12th year of investing. Had I maximized my super for all those 12 years. Uh-huh. Then I'd be in a far better position, I think, than what I am. And don't get me wrong, I'm in a fairly decent position at the moment. I'm not whinging a little bit, but <laughs> um, but having said that, living in your own home is the ultimate freedom. And, and I'm sure Jude, I think you've moved into your house, right?
1: Almost there. I think there's just uh, you know a couple of touch-ups and renos left, but I think within the next week, I think we right. should be good to move in.
2: Yep. And 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 Jude, when you first move into your home, there's nothing like it. Because, you know, uh, presumably you've rented up until now and, and now yep. you're able to go into your own house. It just gives you so much more freedom. And uh, yeah, you can rent vests and all that sort of stuff. A lot of millennials talk about rent vesting, but there's nothing like coming back to your own home. No matter how much of a mansion you rent, coming to your shoebox house, which is what it was when we first bought our home. We we bought an absolute dump in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, but it's our home. It's our little castle. And, you know, it wasn't great. But it was nice. So, yeah. So, so super, investments outside of super and mortgage. That's the theoretical way of doing it. But practically, if you want to pay off your mortgage, I have no problems with that at all. I think that's
0: fantastic. That's really good insight again, Dev. Uh, and just FYI, I'm rent-vesting just at the moment. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, maybe at some point I, I will buy my own place to, to live in and, you know, something that I'll be happy with as well. So... Just while we're talking about property, what are your thoughts, Dev, on the Australian property market as a whole? Do you think it's overpriced, underpriced? And you have mentioned before that you do have property, sorry, as investments as uh, along with your share portfolio. Are you going to maximize both or do you have a priority now just to focus on your share portfolio?
2: yeah look, I have no immediate plans to buy more investment properties. You know, I do
0: have investment properties,
2: but I'm primarily focused on really building up my index fund portfolio. Mm. Now, do I think the Australian property market is overvalued? Now, uh, Jude, at this point, you might want to uh, you know turn off your <laughs> uh, uh, earpods. but um, look, I think at this stage it is a bit crazy. I think going up you know fifteen percent this year alone in Sydney and Melbourne, especially. And of course, it all depends on where you live. Certainly in metro cities, it's gone up. And also rural because of COVID and working from home and remote technology, et cetera. But over the long term, I think the Australian property market will go up even further. Because I I, I was sort of talking to a couple of colleagues of mine. Think about it this way, right? Certainly, you know, I'm sort of looking at it from a doctor perspective you have a look at COVID about how it's destroyed the lives of people around the world, and even now, and, you know, healthcare workers around the world have just absolutely worked their asses off, uh, including Australia. But, you know, our workloads here for COVID is nothing like what it's been like in North America, Indian subcontinent, Southeast Asia and Western Europe, right? Nothing, you know, nothing. And we've got about, you know, 22, 23 patients, sadly, in ICU, as I speak, but nothing like thousands of people, I think, at one stage... um, Uh, The state of Texas had over 2,000 COVID patients in their ICU unit. Now, to put that into perspective, Australia doesn't have 2,000 ICU beds, whereas that one state has it. So they're looking to us and going, wow, look at Australia and New Zealand. They've managed COVID really well. But of course, borders are shut. When borders open, where do you think people are going to think about migrating to, particularly those healthcare workers who've absolutely been shafted in their own country? They're going to potentially want to come down to countries like Australia and New Zealand, where we relatively get paid higher wages for less work and better lifestyle. And that goes to show in other professions as well, law, engineering, IT, and a lot of other professionals. Once the borders open, there will be an influx of migrants and immigration. And I think that's why I think moving forward, all these people would need places to live and rent. And that's why I think holding property is a good thing in the long run. But unfortunately, it puts a lot of pressure on local Australians who are just trying to put a roof over their heads and want to buy a home. And uh, clearly, you guys have done well. But I know a lot of junior doctors who simply cannot afford to buy a house with their wages. So yeah, to answer your question, I think it is a little bit crazy at the moment. But I think it's going to go up. I just don't see a property crash coming to Australia in the long term.
1: Got it, So That's yeah, an interesting take on the situation right now, Devon. You know, although I, at one point of time when you said it's a bit overvalued, I was like going <laughs> to just hang up for a bit. But <laughs> <laughs> but then you know what? I think it's 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 spot on. I think the way the market just um, ballooned over the last six months, and I. And I can tell you from personal experience itself, right, we we tried in for those last six months trying in putting in bids here, you know, and always being overbid in terms of any any particular property. So it was pretty crazy out there. But coming back to your question on, you know, investing uh, on an investment property, right? I'm pretty sure when you when you basically have your investment properties, you would have had a checklist which you followed to in terms of, you know, which property would make some amount of money in the future with certain amount of background, a certain amount of uh, points in your checklist. So uh, could you just share a couple of those points?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think look, there, there are some basic principles that, you know, you may want to consider, you know, particularly if you're buying in you know metro cities. You know, I, I haven't bought property now for about four years, but certainly when I look for things, I look for land. I think land is relatively scarce in Australia in the sense that a lot of our country is not really usable. Uh, it's desert, uh, so buying something with a sizeable land is uh, is always a good thing. You know, trying to avoid high-rise investments, you in know, apartments if possible, townhouses, anything with a body corporate. Try to avoid. I, again, really depends on which suburb and which city. These are all very broad principles. And uh, I mean, we 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 bought a dump. Uh, on a piece of land. And never in our wildest imagination, we we thought that it's going to go up by 400%, which is what it's happened over the last sort of, you know, uh, 10 to 12 years. Now, the other thing is, you know, looking for things like school zones, which is always a bit of a touchy topic in Melbourne, because school zones basically define, you know, a significant portion of your home value. And whenever the schools change their zone, uh, you can see you can see the property owners just get absolutely mad because essentially, you know, that's a potential 20% drop uh, in the value of their property. Things like public transport, train stations, especially shopping centres. What's going to happen over the next sort of 30 years? Is there going to be more infrastructure projects, etc.? And all of this is actually available online. If you actually Google a particular suburb. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, what the website's called, but it it tells you the data of the projected population growth, projected infrastructure projects. Uh, everything is there. And the other thing that I do, well, what I used to do when I used to buy property is I do what's called a square meter, you know, your calculation by you know, what's your dollar per square meter. So mm-hmm. I, I I tend to find that uh, useful. So I look at all the properties that have sold in the last sort of, let's say, you know, six weeks, to 12 weeks within a suburb and then calculate what the price range has been on a square meterage basis, because that gives you a bit of a baseline. And then you can sort of top up based on things like school zones and infrastructure around the area. But, but fundamentally, if you can buy something with a little bit of land, I think that's, that's probably going to be the most, you know, most important thing moving forward. Uh, and again, it entirely depends on which which city and which suburb you're talking about. So if if you're going to buy in Adelaide, for example, you know, buying a house with a land is far more feasible than perhaps buying uh, an independent home, you know, uh, in some parts of Melbourne or Sydney.
0: Jude, I hope you took some of these points into consideration when you bought your property, mate.
1: <laughs> yeah, but. definitely i think uh, it is it is important and i think but more importantly sam i think the place where i bought it is primary place of residence so it's not an investment property
2: (laughs) yeah exactly and 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 the other thing as well with with the whole principal place of residence i forgot to mention about you know when i say buy houses with land and all that sort of stuff just just don't just don't buy too much house we i see this a lot with doctors you know that that earn you know Upwards of three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, and then they go buy a three million dollar house, and all of a sudden, you know, up to forty to fifty percent of their after tax income is on their mortgage. So buying too much house is a disaster. So yes, you know, buy what you can afford, don't overcommit, and just say, just you know, just just stay safe in terms of making sure that you don't just buy too much house.
0: That's a red flag. Mm. And just with the way the property market is now or where it's heading where you know we're pretty much at a peak or coming close to a peak let's just say for example you had the option to buy now or wait later do you think it'll be a bit better to to wait a little bit like there are rumors that apra might clamp down on on a few things interest rates may go up in the near future what do you think about all these things
2: Look, I think you're right. I think I think property in 2021 has probably peaked. Uh, I'd be very surprised if it goes even higher towards the second half of the year. And of course, the second half of the year is spring and summer when more properties flood the market. And of course, you know, like anything in life, it's about supply and demand. If you have more supply, then you know a potential buyer has more options in terms of buying other properties than yours whereas the sort of winter late winter markets which is usually quieter had it not been for lockdowns i think that would have proofed up the property market a bit more i think we're sort of artificially governed here by the lockdowns i mean melbourne's had this is a fifth lockdown they had fourth lockdown i think in april may so it's a little bit artificial and you know interest rates i mean uh, i i think interest rates will eventually go up Uh, i just don't see them going up as rapidly as what people think in the next five years because if the interest rates went up by you know, one to three percent, that would put a lot of homeowners under significant mortgage stress or if not bankruptcy. And I don't think the Reserve Bank would have the guts to do that because, you know, let's face it, they're independent, but they're also governed by, you know, they don't want to be bankrupting half of Australia. So uh, look, in in the long term, I, I think property prices will be headed north. But in the short term, I think you're right. I think in the next sort of one to two years, I'd be surprised if it goes up even further but i just don't think the interest rates are going to move that much in the next one to two years and if they did then we've got bigger problems
0: Mm. it'll be interesting to see also if inflation moves up as well (laughs) but i think it'll probably stay steady over the next few years given the whole covid situation and all the rest of it yeah
1: absolutely i think Fantastic points there again, Dev. I think what we'll do now is I think we move on to a more lighter segment of our, of the episode now and think uh, we'll, we'll touch upon a few topics which a little lighter than the ones which you discussed in the earlier parts. So if I had to ask you, you know, when you started on this journey of financial literacy and, you know, trying to really gain as much as knowledge as you could on this topic, Would you suggest or recommend any of these, any books which you've read in the past, which are a must read for our listeners? Also, any, you know, well-respected financial figure that you follow?
2: Yeah, look, I actually don't read very much in terms of books. I think probably the biggest thing that I've read that's really consolidated my view on the stock market has been the J.L. Collins stock series. Have you guys heard of that?
0: No, I haven't, actually. Is
2: this something written by Jack
0: Bogle or is this something else?
2: No, no. J L Collins is an investor, an American investor, and if you just Google J L Collins stock series, he's written, uh, he's got a blog, written, you know, I think 25 articles uh, about how the stock market works, and it's very, very beautifully written, fundamentally written, and it's really easy to read as well, and it really does put in perspective about stock investing, and and it simplifies it, it compares evidence. Uh, So I'm actually a really big fan of J L Collins and of YouTube. Joel Collins, he's given a great talk at Google as well. Mm, Um, So, you know, in terms of books, you know, the traditional books, you know, Richest Man in Babylon and Barefoot Investor and Random Walk Down Wall Street. In terms of, look, in terms of investing figures, you know, great fan of John Bogle or Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, great fan of uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, great fan of I can't remember his name that created Wealthfront, which is the uh, robo of investors. His name would come to me. I'm not sure, but, but um, I can't remember his name now, but in a great fan of him, uh, once I remember his name. Uh, and there's also a really good YouTube series about investing, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, look, I'll have, to, I'll have to send you those links, actually. Yeah, it, it just skips my mind at the moment. But I, I watch a fair bit of YouTube in terms of investing. And a lot of the stuff that I learned from is you know podcasting and, uh, and from YouTube. And there's a you know a fair amount of good stuff on the podcast medium as well, uh, you know, like your podcast. and you know I listen to uh, Choose a Phi. I started listening to Dave Ramsey when it when I first got involved in uh, financing. Now, He's a bit of a uh, interesting character in the US <laughs> and also a Money Tree investing is really good and also afford anything podcast from um, uh, paula pant which i found really
0: useful as well great yeah i'll have to actually look through some of those recommendations you've given there dev if you were to start from scratch would there be anything that you would do differently
2: look i I think I i would have maximized my super from day one i didn't maximize my super in the early years of my internship and residency And at the end of my medical school during, you know, part-time work, et cetera, after six years, I'd saved up a good amount of money. I think I saved up just over $40,000, but most of that went into the uh, first term by deposit. You know, I wish I'd started investing back then and really try and hammer home the concept of savings rate. You know, your savings rate is by far the most important thing. It is not your investment returns, particularly in the early parts of your investing days, How much you save and how much you put into that investment outweighs anything what the investment returns would be. So I'd really be hammering home that message to your listeners. In terms of personal life, having kids and getting married early, I got married in my 20s, had kids relatively early uh, in my late 20s and early 30s. I don't think I'd change that because you know that's you know, that's something that I wanted to do. But certainly, yeah, the three things would be, you know, start investing early, start maximizing superannuation early, trying to automate things and uh, and concentrate on savings rate. And I have found who that other figure was. It was Burton Malkiel, who was a great supporter of Wealthfront, which is a sort of a robotic investor service, I think very similar to um, Stockspot in Australia, I think, and Betterment in the US.
0: Mm, Yes, I have heard those can be good for people that really don't have the time to focus on their investments. Uh, So, you know, a lot of them use uh, ETFs as their investment vehicles, and they give some personal financial advice as well. So yeah, I have heard that those particular robo investment groups could be a good option for certain people.
1: Yeah, perfect. So I think the next one for me is, if you had to classify your investments, right? So which would be your most successful investment? And what which would be your not so successful one? I wouldn't call it worse, but not so successful one yet.
2: Look, it's an interesting one. I sort of think my best investment, and this is going to sound really lame. It is a really lame answer, but but everything that I've achieved, or me as a family, and me and my wife and my kids have achieved, is through medicine. In the sense that I was able to, you know, get into medicine. Uh, it's a very honourable profession. It's it's a very humble profession. It keeps me grounded. Every day I see people, you know, that are less fortunate than what I am in terms of their health. So I think investing in my education was probably the best investment because it's allowed me to, you know, earn a decent wage and also be able to invest a vast majority of my wage into index funds. And of course, that'll be my next best investment, which would be just, you know, starting early and investing in index funds and realising very early that active investing wasn't for me. And, uh, you know, that's a very geeky answer. And I, and I think, you know, you know, kudos to my parents who installed values in me to say that, uh, you know, your, your typical Indian subcontinental parents, you know, make sure you do well at school and make sure you get good grades, make sure you go to uni, uh, you don't really have any other option otherwise, and make sure you give it, your, give it your best shot, right? I mean, these are all very familiar, you know, Asian slash Indian subcontinental concepts, right? We, we can all attest to that. Um, and, and and i think retrospectively uh, i think i have to say uh, i think those are very good principles to to live by my worst investment was actually i uh, i bought a i bought a custom designed pool table so uh, i went to a i don't know why i did this this was back in 2016 we, we we built a house and we've got a we i wanted a pool table room i wanted a games room Uh, because the kids had a toy room and i said i need a games room for myself because you know i deserve it i've worked hard for it and we've lived in a you know shoebox of a house all these years and thankfully we can afford it so i went to this guy who made me a custom designed pool table with you know with you know proper proper pool balls and all that sort of stuff and belgian balls and all that sort of stuff which i bought in 2016 and and to be honest, I think I've only used it less than ten times since I bought it in those in those sort of four years. We casually use it when we have visitors, but it's literally literally covered up the entire time. Because you know, when I first bought it, I probably played on it maybe twice or three times consecutively. But what a waste of money! I spent thousands of dollars on that, and I had to get that you know especially delivered as well because apparently the average you know removalist you know, will charge extra to move a pool table and a piano, which I didn't realise. But I'd have to say that was a stupid thing to do. Yeah, as it stands, I'm actually looking at it right now. I'm, I'm in the games room. <laughs> no, just looking at it. I, I, haven't, I haven't used this thing for the last two years at least. At least. What a waste.
0: Jude, do, do you play pool? Do you, do you want to take it off Dev, put it in your new place?
1: <laughs> so then I, I think that's what I guess. If I take it from Dev, then I think In another couple of episodes, when I speak back to Dev, I say, I have not used the pool table myself. That's right. That's right. Uh,
0: Dev, we've had some conversations as well prior to this particular podcast. And one thing that did strike me as very interesting was that you mentioned starting things like journal clubs. So, I wanted just to uh, talk a little bit further about that. What do you intend to do? What are your plans for these journal clubs
2: yeah look i've I've been contacted uh well actually in terms of you know providing webinars, I've actually been contacted by the College of General Practitioners and also G p training colleges and also medical societies in Melbourne, particularly Monash, to provide webinars about personal finance, so you know slowly making inroads into explaining to training bodies that, uh, you know, teaching doctors about money is really important. I mm-hmm. want to make sure that every, every, every medical student or doctor that comes out of their, you know, training has some level of financial literacy so that they just don't go out and sort of blow their money. And, and I think, you know, extrapolating that to other industries, I think every workplace, you know, should have, you know, interest groups I mean, in medicine, we, we have, uh, you know, uh, journal clubs and audit meetings and, uh, you know, to improve our medical knowledge about, you know, conditions and, and make sure that we understand new concepts and new evidence-based guidelines and medical treatments. They get discussed all the time, routinely, on a weekly basis. This is part of our continuing medical education, right? I think we need to do that for finances, too. Uh, and I think we need to do it across the spectrum, not just in medicine, in IT, and engineering, because fundamentally... You know, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or lawyer or accountant, I mean, or an IT professional, or uh, you could be a concreter or a tradesperson or a person building a house or the local person working at the checkout counter at the Woolies or Coles. Fundamentally, we spend so much of our lives, uh, in essence, dedicated to the service of others. You know, I go to the local Coles, there's a person there directing me on which way to go. And there's a person there at the checkout counter scanning my items. If I have more than 15 items, I go through the Checkout counter. You know, they are working to make my life better. And just like I'm working to make hopefully my patients' lives uh, uh, better. And I think when you do that, who takes care of you? So I think in every workplace, you know, we should start talking about money. In Australia, I think talking about money is a bit of a taboo subject, but there's a fair bit of appetite for it. You know, we need to start talking about money, sharing ideas, sharing concepts. And sharing, you know, investing ideas and discussion points, not because, you know, it's going to make us wealthy and we're all greedy and want to be wealthy and make a lot of money. But I think sharing ideas and knowledge is how fundamentally we can grow and grow together. And, and I think, you know, I think about people, you know, that serve other people. I think they need to look after themselves, and we need to start asking ourselves, who is looking after us? Uh, that, that's the that's the main motivation. Uh, to make sure that uh, we improve our knowledge uh, when it comes to money, and it's mm. okay to talk about money. It's completely fine. It's okay to make money. It's okay to spend money. It's okay to invest money, and it's okay to be wealthy, provided you do it in a way that doesn't, un- you know, necessarily rip people off. I think this notion that, you know, making a lot of money and being wealthy and investing is a bad thing is is rubbish i think i think it's okay to talk about it and and it's okay to help other people learn about it
0: yeah i, I definitely agree with, with everything you mentioned there dev and just taking it one step further i guess do you think financial literacy should actually be taught at an earlier age perhaps in in high school where kids are actually given you know some basic classes and basic principles on financial literacy do you, do you think that'll be a good idea I think it has to be part of the curriculum. It has to be because, you know, I don't know about you guys,
2: but I don't use algebra in my profession at all. But, you know, I'm sure I spent, I don't know, four weeks on that topic in high school. But what I use every single day in my life is financial concepts, income, expenses, bills, debt, liabilities, assets, net worth. Use it every single day. That's far more important, I think. Yes, algebra is important, but, you know, from a practicality standpoint, I just don't use it. Uh, and I'm not sure whether, you, I mean, I, I suspect you guys are in the IT field. Is that right? Yep. Yes. Yep. So do you guys use algebra every day? Probably not. Nah,
0: uh, we don't I'm solving that. quadratic <laughs> equations on a regular basis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're,
2: doing it, you're doing it in your head, right? Like, right? <laughs> just while we're chatting. But that's the thing. I think I think if they can incorporate that, you know, basics, you know, like don't borrow money unnecessarily, you know, credit cards are not your friends, you know, basic stuff. But we're we're a long way from that yet. Long way from that.
0: I, I think something like a life skills kind of curriculum should be put into high schools really like talking about finances, talking about really simple things like cooking, basic maintenance. I really think stuff like that should all be kind of packaged up and be like a mandatory part of the educational curriculum so hopefully some change will come about later on but yeah it's just not there right now And it's just reliant on parents and other household figures to actually teach this and it's going to be different for everyone because they're going to have people coming from all different backgrounds people with more experience less experience so what gets installed into young people is going to vary quite a lot so I think this is just me personally saying this like i think our educational system needs to be built a little bit better where some of this is actually just taught more equally and more fairly on 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 our younger generation
2: i agree i agree and 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 they should really teach the concept of a binding super nomination jude (laughs) 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 the first
1: thing you guys need to look up tonight no no
0: we will we will thank you so much for that.
1: that that is for sure that's as i said that's top thing on our agenda for tomorrow first things in the morning dev <laughs> uh, no worries. But, but thank you so much dev it's it's been an absolute pleasure today chatting with you you know it's been insightful we've covered a lot of ground and in, in a way we, we touched upon so many important topics which you know definitely our listeners would uh, enjoy hearing this too and uh in ho- hopefully in some way or the other it, w- it is helpful to them you know and thank you once again you know for being for making the time to be be on this particular podcast and you know chatting with us oh thanks very much for having me and
2: look i mean we, we spent a fair bit of time today and, and to me it didn't really feel like an official podcast it, it really felt to me like we were just in a cafeteria virtual cafeteria you know just having a cup of coffee and having a chat about money and this is the way it should be done so well done and congratulations on your wonderful podcast
0: thanks dev awesome having you on mate so guys that's all we have time for today thank you so much for listening in i hope you enjoyed the show please check out dev raga's podcast if you haven't done so already and subscribe so just search dev raga on spotify and you can easily find it and also if you haven't checked out our website please do so it's ozinvesting.com spelt oz investing and consider joining our email list. When you do that, we'll send out an easy to use checklist on what to look out for when investing in the stock market. Also, check us out on social media. There are links on the social pages on our website. And if you'd like to contact us, please do so. Send us an email. It's ozinvesting2020 at gmail.com or through the contact section on the website. So with all that said and done, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you very much.